I came home one day and I was like, oh, I have like a bad cold, all these symptoms. And then it just got progressively worse to the point where my mom eventually came here to stay with me. And my neck was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and I couldn't move. Had my mother not been here with me, I would have probably died. There's a chance that we're going to operate and she won't walk or even... You know, even if she has feelings, she might not walk completely the same. And my sister's like, no, 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 my sister will walk, you know, and I did. You're listening to Dear Seekers. This is Sasha Shell, and that was Daniela Bosco. I first met Daniela was back in May at a night hosted by one of the most elegant boutiques in Toronto, Iwanika. Not sure if I pronounce it right though, since apparently there's another way to say it, the right way. But anyway, the owner Trish organized a night to celebrate Daniela as one of the extraordinary women who has inspired her and the shop. It was definitely a night well spent. Daniela is funny, witty, kind, and very inspiring. Our conversation at the night eventually led to a Saturday afternoon chat on the lovely couch in her beautiful apartment in downtown Toronto. Thank you for having me on this lovely couch. Where did you get this couch from? I found this couch via Instagram from a couple that sells really good mid-century modern pieces in Kitchener. Oh, and did they ship to two? No, had you to rent to go a pick truck it up? and yeah. So <laughs> I have so many questions for you. I don't know how long we're going to keep talking. Okay. So tell me where were you born and raised in? Okay. I was born here in Toronto, actually, down the street. We lived here for a very short time and then uh, moved to Mississauga. Because my father has a business there and was a workaholic, or still is actually a workaholic. So we moved to Mississauga. But my cousins were all downtown. So on the weekends, I was always downtown. So I feel like I grew up kind of in both places, which is lovely. And then I moved back downtown in my mid-20s. And the rest is history. I don't think I'd move anywhere else. Mm. Yeah. And what do your parents do? My mother was a hairdresser and is home now, and my father is um, a machinist and has a machine shop, and he still works to this day. He's probably at work right now. Oh, really? Yeah. So what kind of qualities your parents have now, looking back in retrospect, kind of shaped who you are today, you think? The good or the bad? Both. <laughs> no. um, Both. Yeah. Um, Definitely work ethic, because in my house, you got up and you went to work no matter what. Like I had a job when I was 11. I started working with him. And the minute I could legally work, you know, at the mall, I was doing that. Yeah. I think they taught us to be very honest, to have a lot of gratitude towards what we had, because my dad worked really hard. My mother worked really hard. I don't know, so many things like when you think back, been a part of you, you don't even realize. Um, I found in the last few years, I've realized a whole new level of respect for my mom in um, teaching us sometimes to kind of, I'm going to use the word suffer for lack of a better word, but suffer in silence. My dad was working so much as she was always home with us. 
Like, it was just her dealing with two girls who at times were not the kindest human beings, you know, and like taking us to school and dealing with whatever issues we went through as teenagers or as as kids, like all of that, you know, on her own and never complaining to us, always making sure that everything was done in the house for all of us. I think that there's something to be said about that now looking back where it's like, okay, I hadn't seen that those quiet little details, something about the quiet little details that I hadn't paid attention to before, that now that I'm older, I'm like, that is something that I would like to think I've I've learned from her. And I start to apply in, in my daily life where you do something quietly and not always need, you know, to get a tap on the, on the hand for it or a slap mm-hmm. on the back. Like, yeah, you did good, you know? I was really exposed to a lot of art through them. She was an artist. My dad has an appreciation for architecture and design that I definitely followed in his footsteps. Uh, Photography, a little bit of my free spirit, I think comes from both of them. Like when they got married, they got into a convertible and drove to California for a month, just cruised around the States and kind of stayed wherever. And you know, like my first time eating organic food was with my parents in the 80s. Like they, they were really cool. Like now they're, you know, now they're older. And sometimes I'm like, what? Like, how did you go from eight to this? Like, but they were really, you know, so I think, I think a little bit of my free spirit comes from both of them. Different, different aspects of it come from both of them. Yeah. an older sister or a younger sister? I have a younger sister. How much younger is she than you? Five years. So having a younger sister, being the oldest one for a single child for five years, and now you have sort of take care and being a role model for another human being. Do you remember when you were five years old? What were you like having a now break, break the news you have a sister now? When she came, I remember her as a baby. Like I distinctly remember her coming home from the hospital. I remember, you know, like smelling her head and like touching her. And I remember being warned, like, you must be careful. And it's been interesting because I think that five years apart is an interesting gap because I would finish grade school and then she would be midway through. So she'd be starting to develop or think about crushes and things like that. And and then I would be moving on to high school, you know, so I feel like we were always like, not quite in sync where it was like, well, I've done that. <laughs> you know, been there like, and done I, that. I've done that. Like, uh, oh yeah, that's your, that's, you know, so I would like to think that I was a good role model. I don't know. I hope so. I, we definitely had fun together. She is a really loyal, beautiful soul. we definitely both have a very dry sense of sarcastic humor that we, that's good. I yes, you share that. We do share that. We share, we share a lot of things. But um, yeah, she's a lovely human being. I was sick a few years ago for an extended period of time. And she, like, I can't think about it and not get emotional with how much she fought for me mentally. Like, she was not going to not see her sister recover completely. Like, it just wasn't in her Mm -hmm. headspace. Like, she was not going to allow for that. Like, she came in and really took care of everyone. Like, I think it must have been pretty traumatic for her and obviously for my parents, but she was, like, strong in that. It's like, nope, she's going to get through this and we're going to keep on going. And I think that that is a really beautiful, selfless gift that I have from her. 
So sometimes I think mm-hmm. she's actually the big sister. When I first set out to interview Daniela, I wanted to chat about Shaskarte, a boutique she once owned, which offered shoppers and its neighborhood a fresh and gem-like experience. And as a creative director and stylist who is very much in demand, working for international and local brands, I was also hoping she could share some of her milestones and experiences with us. But we didn't end up chatting about any of that. Instead. Daniela shares her painful yet humbling experience that transformed her. She shared the things she learned from this traumatic event, how he has helped her get in touch with that little strong feminist she once was, and how she's utilizing her voice in her work right now in fashion. I had closed my store. I'd had a store for five years, and I'd closed it. And I think that the store was.、Um, It was beautiful, and I'm really happy that I did it. I'm grateful for all the things that I learned about it, about myself in doing it. But I think it was more stressful for me than I, at the time, had liked to admit. And so then, when I closed it, I went right back to styling, and I didn't really take any time to breathe or relax or do anything except work. And.、Um, I came home one day and I was like,、oh, I have like a bad cold, all these symptoms, and then it just got progressively worse to the point where my mom eventually came here to stay with me, and I couldn't. My neck was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and I couldn't move. And then she started taking me to hospitals in the city, and it's emergency. I was younger at the time, and they were just like, oh, she has a bad back, so they would give me Percocet, Oxycontin, all kinds、mm-hmm. of drugs. Thinking that that would alleviate the pain, but it just got worse, and then it got to the point where I actually don't remember. I think my my mind just blocked out the pain. But apparently, one morning my mom woke up and she was trying to give me water, and I had like no motor skills, like none whatsoever, and it really freaked her out. And I think she had given up on the hospitals downtown because we had gone to like three or four of them. And she brought me to Mississauga Hospital, and then apparently I was screaming at the top of my lungs. And they told her, and my sister, my dad was actually away on business. Once they figured out what was wrong, they're like, she has a really bad infection, and it's eating at her. It's eat. It's actually ha- it did eat my C1 to my C7 in my spine. So what was happening is that my fluid, my spine was closing. So that's why my motor skills were rapidly leaving, and. They said we have two choices. One, we could stick an IV in her, but chances are the infection will get to her heart before we will, and it'll kill her because it's that far gone in her body. Or two, we operate. Chances are she'll walk again, but we can't guarantee it. But she'll live. We can't guarantee anything else except that she'll live. And so they went ahead and were like, cut her open. Of course, we want her to live. We don't want to chance it. And、uh, I woke up in the hospital, and、uh, my neck hurt like hell. And it was a month in intensive care with very, very little movement. And then after that, it was like moving up until up to、uh, rehab, and just every day, literally at the beginning, like a second at a time, trying to stand. And from standing was like a little bit of walking, and then from walking was writing, and then. You know, and even 
It was funny because when I left the hospital, I was still kind of holding onto rails on the wall. And I remember them going, okay, well, you know, like you're good to go. And I was like, what? You're good to go. Like, I can't run. I can't. What do you mean? I have to go home? Like, I'm not 100%, you know? And so it was, it was almost six months in the hospital. And then, and then it was like another six months of just recovering at my own pace at home. It was a blessing. It was a rebirth. It truly was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what kind of things the doctor told your sister that she didn't believe it or she didn't want oh, to believe well, it? Oh, well, about the walking. Because they were like, you know, we don't know. There's a chance that we're going to operate and she won't walk. Or even, you know, even if she has feelings, she might not walk completely the same. And my sister's like, no, no, no. My sister will walk. Wow. You know, and I did. I did. I had so many amazing, positive people around me. Every time I tell the story, I tell people we must be our own advocates for our own health. If you feel that something is wrong with you, you have to fight until you get it looked at. Because had my mother not been here with me, I would have probably died because the infection would have got to me because the drugs were so strong. I barely remember anything towards going into the hospital. Like I can't piece together things because the pain and the medicine So had she not been here, 100%, the infection would have got to my heart. So we must fight for ourselves. And also, as you share, the experience itself almost Mm -hmm. sound like a rebirth and then shaped the whole perspective differently again. It did. So many cliches that are out there. (laughs) When you go up against, I, I imagine for anyone that's dealt with any death, in a different degree or any other kind of health scare or whatever loss or, Mm. you know, awakening that a person's had. Those cliches, they exist for a reason. I remember being uh, up north and one morning waking up really early and catching the sun as it was rising and just being like, I almost missed this. Like, Mm. I almost never... Like, little, like, watching my sister's kids, even, even, you know, when I am stressed out by my parents like you know at the same time it's I try at least to take it all at a different pace now because it's still here and I'm really lucky that it that it is yeah yeah so now looking back and you also just talk about share about we have to take our health Mm -hmm. really seriously Mm -hmm. well was there any sign there that because for the sound of it all of a sudden you just got sick but now looking back was there any signs were there I wasn't listening to my body. That's the assumption that I make. There were probably some signs that my body had been trying to tell me that I ignored. Actually, I know that one thing that that I did used to get, which now I know is a sign that your immune system is is uh, compromised. I used to get a lot of styes, like in my I like towards the end of having the store, I would get these really attractive styes. <laughs> like I remember, I had to rock an eye patch at one point. Um, really sexy. Um, but I know now that it was to happen now, I would know that my body needs sleep. My body needs fluids. I'm stressed out about something. I need to like be clear about that. I need to address that. I need to find a way to deal with that. For what I had, there aren't any obvious signs. It was like, I remember speaking to the blood specialist after and saying like, is there a chance like that I could get this again? She's like, honestly, what happened to you is like getting hit by lightning. So if it happens to you twice, you got other problems. Like she was trying to make light of it, but she was like, no. There are certain things that I notice in my body that some people maybe will or will not with when they're around me. Um, 
sometimes my neck can get a little bit stiff if I have to stay turned like one way. Sometimes I'll feel it sometimes in the cold or if I'm tired. Um, I still have to take two kinds of medication. One is for nerve damage and one is just so that my muscles don't spaz. Mm -hmm. And if I do forget to take them sometimes, like I'll notice like a little kick up in my, in my mm -hmm. left leg. I think my left is my weaker side now. But those, considering all the different outcomes that could have been, right. you know, like I have nothing to complain about. That's mm -hmm. actually another beautiful thing that I find now is that I'm so much more in tune with my body. Like I know when I'm tired, I know when I'm stressed, even before I see signs, I mm -hmm. can, I know I'm like, oh, okay, we need, we need to just be home and do nothing and accept right. that. Right. And I, I think that that's such a blessing in this day and age, because I think a lot of people maybe haven't had something happen so significant to them where they've had that opportunity to slow down for a second and to um, almost have this reset of your body where you get that lesson that you listen to and you're like, okay, now if something happens again, I know what's happening inside of me. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's such a blessing. Right. Yeah. On so many different levels. Yeah. So now looking back, I wonder before you got sick, mm -hmm. were you, really working a lot or is that kind of your lifestyle then having my own business as anyone who does you're never not working even if you're not physically in your workplace it's on your mind i don't think that i was a workaholic to the degree of my father to that extreme because i grew up watching it and i saw i saw my mother miss having her husband around a lot and because as children we missed having him around i think that that it might have not been that i was so insightful it might have been a little bit of an act of a rebellion too where it was like you know what yeah i'm gonna work but i'm also gonna party i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do that and i'm gonna travel but definitely uh something you said hit a note where it was work defined me so my success in work what i was choosing to do that was a defining thing you know, it's mm. with, without that clarity of loving what I do, like really believing that you must love what you do, where now it's like, eh, you can like it. You don't get to love everything all the time. And that's okay. It's called work for a reason. I think that is now the way I look at it. And I also have a better sense now of a pace that I can actually handle. There are people that can handle a lot more. I commend them. And there are people that can handle less. I know now what I can handle and I need to balance it out. I need to have a little bit of me time. I need to have time with my friends. I need to, to have life outside of work mm -hmm. because it inspires me actually to do better work. And I don't think I had that before. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that insight. So was I a workaholic? Yes. To the utmost degree, no. But was it my most defining thing? Yes. And I think that's why after being sick and recovering and getting back in touch with who I was, I think being sick really made me realize, like, you have to have other things. You have to. Mm -hmm. Like, it can't be just work, even yeah. if you love it, which I'm, I'm lucky. I've, I've always loved what I've done. Is every day a great day? No, of course not. No mm -hmm. one's day is. But 
do I love what I do? And am I grateful that for whatever reason I get to do it? Yes. Right. That kind of reminds me a sentence I feel like has been misleading for、mm-hmm. a while.、Mm-hmm. Is that if you love what you do, you never feel like work. Right. Any day. How how does right? No, I know. Right. Um, um. If you love what you do, you would never feel like a, you. Yeah. Never work a day. Yeah. Never work a day、yeah. in your life. Yeah. 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 Bullshit. I know. Yeah. It's so、no. misleading, and then idealize this whole. You have to find your passion. Yes. That you just love what you do, and you love. To fully that you never feel like you—it's a work. I, I, yeah. yeah. And as a side note too, I, I also believe I'm the daughter of immigrants. Are you? Yeah. Okay. There is never not work talk in those homes. Yeah. Like that is—you must do that.、Right. Like you must go to work. You must have a job that is somewhat you know, that brings you at least some kind of security. You must have an education. You must do、right. these things. Everything else comes after that, but you must be doing those things. We're taught that it's an expectation, which I think at times I really disappointed my. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ever express what kind of, you know, job they wish you could be taking on? Of course,、oh, yeah. my mom still does. Like、really? she's still like, can't you just go find a job at the bank? And it makes me laugh because <laughs> I'm always like, but mom, like you know, it's actually. Uh, Argentinian and Italian,、oh. and it's funny because it's like, mom, you realize that it's actually not that easy to get a job at the bank anymore either. Like, it's not easy to get a job anywhere anymore. But she, just the bank was always her go-to, and in in college or in university, I had a job at the bank, and she was so happy. Oh, really? Yeah, I was I was like in a call center, and I hated it. Like I couldn't, but the money was good, and I and I had moved out on my own, so it was fine. But she was like, you know, maybe you could go back to the bank. Like every time something goes wrong in a work situation, especially being freelance, like she's just like, you know, maybe the bank, <laughs> maybe that's what's got to happen. Yeah, and I'm like, but what could I do at the bank? Like I, I've been in this. In my own, you can do the art direction. I, sure, I could be like, if you could just move to this deposit line because people are wearing this color, and you blend really great with that, and that would look really relaxing to everyone else in line. Like I don't, yeah, we could try it. Scotia Bank PD, if you're listening, you need some art director. Yeah, little little George, while you deposit your check, you know, just stop at the booth and we'll fix you up. Add a belt, take away a scarf, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> so funny, but I wonder what did you study? Oof. Okay, so actually, I started off in social work. Oh, I was very interested in social work from a very young age. When I was a child, just I remember. Seen things on television that bothered me. I was a feminist from a really young age. I don't know why or how. I was just born lucky. My parents have tapes of me in grade five calling into talk radio, arguing that a woman should not give up her last name. Oh my god! So it was just something, and hearing people go through horrible things that, for no reason, that never made sense to me. It just was something that was in me. Like I just was like, no, this is wrong. Like we're all human. Very idealistic. I know now. There's 
things exist and I have a better understanding of, of oppression and like it makes more not no it never makes sense to me but I have a better sense of the history obviously now than when I was a child but yeah I would just see things and they just bothered me it was that simple I was like no that's not cool you do not get to do that to another human being like that's just not cool to me I was always volunteering growing up so I started off community and youth care worker from that went to Ryerson for social work and then had a professor who told me I was such a nice person then. now I have such a big mouth I wouldn't have listened to it the way I did then but there was um, an election provincial election at that time coming up and we were discussing it class and it was voting night and we all came in and professor had said like you know, how many people voted? And I think it was like me and three other people. I mean, with my background, obviously, I don't like to think I'm loud. I like to think I'm passionate. And so I got very passionate about the fact that I was sitting with a bunch of future social workers that had not bothered to vote. And I kind of lost my shit a little bit. Like, you know, I was like, are you crazy? This is where our funding comes from. And where do you, what do you think happens? And like, what do you mean your vote doesn't count? Like, Anyway, professor took me aside after class and was like, you have a lot of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, true, that professor is not wrong. And you might find it actually very difficult to proceed in social work because you have to be able to approach every case without bias, which I think also is a valid, it's for sure a valid lesson. But shortly after... I ended up in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, what? Yeah. Okay, this switch is a little bit too dramatic for me. It was so dramatic, right? Although we often can find transferable skill sets, experiences, and even networks can take us from one field to another, it's still a little difficult for me to connect the dots here. And for Daniela herself, she didn't see this coming either. I had a friend who was ahead of her time, had wanted, this was like going back like maybe, dare I say it, almost 20 years at this point, wanted to start a publication for black women. And she was like, if I do it, you'll do the fashion. And I'm like, why? Again, immigrant home. Like, no, you're not like, oh my God, I think like art and fashion. Yeah, school, Uh uh-huh. No, that's not happening. No. Bank, dentist, doctor, lawyer, right? Not happening. So... I was like, oh, why would I, what? And then I thought about it and I'm like, yeah. I mean, the magazine never came to fruition because we were too busy going out and dancing and doing other things. But, you know, it did actually steer my career and my life because I started to think about it. And then I again went back to Ryerson for fashion and retail management at night Back then, it was when it was first starting. I think they had just started the program. So you could take it at night. You could take it online. And then I ended up in fashion. And the rest is history. But then, was that the first introduction to into fashion? Yeah. When you, when you and your friends started insane? to talk? Yeah. How did you even think that was a possibility? Could be leading to something. I looked into the schooling and then saw that that was, again, something I could do at night. So I didn't have to give up my job because I was already living on my own by then. And then once I was secure in that, okay, yeah, this is definitely where I would like to go. I didn't have a very good understanding of fashion 
in Toronto and what options were out there. So I started off in retail and then Mm -hmm. from retail found out about wholesale Mm -hmm. and then from wholesale found out about styling and then from styling opened up my own shop after managing other people's stores or working with, um, with larger corporations for so long. I have done so many things in this industry, except for publications. It's amazing. Sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, wow, maybe if I had asked some questions, though, maybe I would have started somewhere differently and ended up. I'll never know. Right. Right. You can't go back. But again, like growing up in a house where that wasn't. No, like if you're going to do this, you're going to do quietly. And like you're somehow going to have to be paying your bills, which sometimes was not easy. Sometimes because of bad choices and choosing shoes over a, a bill, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and your mom could be like, well, see, if yeah. you work in the bank. Right? She's like, you know, if you could work at the bank, you could just buy whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all know it's not okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it, it was a very odd transition. But, but it, do you remember at that time, what was your idea about fashion was or the fashion industry? Did you have any even expectation or imagination no no it was a very very small insight into it yeah Mm. because again none of my friends were in it i wasn't exposed to it in any other way except that all of a sudden this friend who was had this great idea was like but it's so you like why would you not do this thing but your friend almost (laughs) saw that in you that she totally did yeah Because to me, like, getting dressed was just getting dressed. It still is. It's getting dressed. Like, it's fun. And it's a form of expression and a form of armor. And it's so much. But it's it's still fun. Like, I don't sit there and go, well, if I put this on and this on, like, you know, what's going to happen then? Like, it's Mm. very visceral about it. It's just like, you just get dressed. Like, today I'm very girly. Tomorrow I could be more masculine. It's just clothes. So much fun. Right. So you want to get into social work to Mm -hmm. make a change and then to Mm -hmm. express your voice. Yep. And then you switch to fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I go from something so... um, It's all important, but yes. The reason I wanted to bring this up because I found it really interesting because that I found a connection with you again. Right. I went to journalism. All my dream was to change the world, to report the hardcore news. Right. Like... And then I went into fashion. Right. (laughs) So I couldn't understand why. So I wonder if there are any answer in your answers that could maybe stir up some of that reason in me. Um, I, when I was recovering, I went through a stage where I was like, I am not going back into fashion. There was a little bit of anger. I don't know if it's because. It was what I was doing when I was, when I got sick. I don't, I don't know. I've never really questioned it. It just was there. And I came to the conclusion that I think for me, at least I fell into fashion too, because it was a place where I finally felt like I belonged, you know, where you could be wearing something and all of a sudden people respond to you in this way, or um, you would hear other stories of other people that felt they didn't physically fit in or what was in their head. It didn't add to a conversation with maybe more with more conservative friends or what, whatever it was. I just 
realized I was like, oh my God, like it was my place to finally fit in because none mm. of us fit in. Does that, does that make sense to you? It does. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. an aha moment. Something I already knew, but like, as soon as you said it, it makes so much sense. Except at the same time, once you're in it, <laughs> you fall prey to the, well, am I pretty enough? Am I skinny enough? Is this right? Is that right? And I have, what you, have enough money. Right? What you grow out of. Right. But it's interesting because now you put aside, or maybe both of us put aside one set of insecurity and you pick up another mm. until you kind of just, it all balances out and you realize it's just a window into creativity. That's all it is. It's right. like, you know what? This is what I'm doing right now and it might lead to art direction or it might lead to archetype, whatever it is. It, it is also a way I, I feel of coping with the world. And when you are sensitive to what's happening around, which I'm sure most of us are, to what's happening in the world, especially today, I mean, yeah, maybe I do want to look at a pair of shoes for five minutes and pretend that none of that's happening. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Is it more important than what's happening? No. But is it mine and maybe other people's comfort for a little bit what's wrong with that that's mm -hmm. okay right? was there any any period of time you're struggling with trying to reconcile your intelligence mm -hmm. with the material the not being deluded by you know how smart you are intelligent you are as a woman yes even as a feminist i don't even know how i'm gonna construct my words but have you ever struggled that? Like, try to reconcile these two? Um, I think, again, I could speak for a very long time on just my experience of having the store. But again, going back to being sick and why I do think it's such a blessing is when I was recovering in the hospital, my head was shaved. I had lost a lot of weight because I had no muscle mass. I was so sick. Like, mm -hmm. I was not really eating. I had my, I call them my home glasses. Like, God forbid if I had to walk the street with these things because, you know, they were like half on my face and like oh. falling off, you know, and people would come to see me. And like, I literally couldn't move for myself. Like, I could not get out of the bed. So if someone that I didn't expect, which happened a lot, came into the room, I couldn't run. I couldn't be anything but who I was in that moment. And I remember crying a lot. And the nurses were so cute. They'd be like, it's okay. It's the morphine. You're going to be fine. Like, you're going to walk. Like, you're, And I'd be like, it's not that. Is it? Oh, my God. Like, people really, really, like, people are here for me. Like, I, just to what you're saying, I think that there was a little bit of me had gotten lost in the mask of what I wore or what I had or what I didn't have, that I had lost sight of how many beautiful, amazing people were around me who actually really just liked me for who I was, which was amazing because I think I had stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. Having the store was a weird thing for me. My identity really got shook. Yeah. So I think in getting sick, it was a it came back full circle where I was like, yep, 
this is me in all my glory, in my gown, you know, can't move, can't do anything. And it's, I think it was hard for my friends to see. And at the beginning, it was a little bit difficult for me. And then I was just like, well, wow, what a gift to really mm -hmm. let this affection and love in from people. You cannot get any more stripped down other than to literally be naked in front of people. That really humbled you, yeah, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Like, they had to come to the bed and hug me. You know, I could not get up. Or like, I have friends that would come, you know, week in, week out that would see my progress walking. And I would sometimes look and see them crying. And they would think that mm -hmm. I couldn't see or they didn't want me to see, but they could not because to see me in that state. So to have that happen was was really humbling and really beautiful mm. and really nice for my like my spirit yeah yeah and again as you shared it's a rebirth reset 100% and that's where the social work then comes back in because that voice of the feminist or what whatever voice social injustice whatever it is mm. it it came back a, a little louder like it was before which is great The past is always with us, even though sometimes it's hard to see, feel, or rather difficult to admit. Sometimes when the past reappears and reminds us who we once were, it's such a beautiful thing. It's like discovering ourselves, except that person seems so familiar and almost was always there. And how you utilizing that voice right now in your day-to-day -day or in your work or anything that you're doing? I think uh, in moving forward doing the talks with Trish, which Yay! you and I spoke about, right? Which I'm so excited Yeah, about. I'm excited too. Yeah. Um, but giving women a platform, I think all of us that consider ourselves feminists, I think none of us can stay as quiet as we used to. I definitely verbalize quicker now than I think I did a while back. If something's happening that I feel is I'm not comfortable with, yeah, I just I just feel that all of us are just more verbal now with mm -hmm. what's happening. And I think, and actually, this is another answer for the question about what am I doing differently back in this world, back in this world, back in this industry. Maybe you do feel like you're back into the world again. Yeah. Then you rebirth. Yeah. yeah. Is something that you're doing as well, where it's like working with other women, like mm. us speaking right here, yeah. right now, and you speaking to so many other amazing women. My God, when I was like listening, like, oh my God, I know that person. <laughs> oh, that person. Like, it's, it was so, like, you've sat down with some really amazing women. So I think that's one way that we're both doing that, right? Yeah. 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 And also, when I am on shoots, I always, really try to make sure that all kinds of women are represented. I would like to think that everyone is represented. Everyone feels like they're treated with respect on set. I think that's really important. Mm. I think growing up in this industry and seeing how people are spoken to sometimes, I'd really like to think that someone would never walk away from a set that I'm on and feels that they were spoken to in a way that they that really offended them. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Right. And and the way that the women are shot, you know? Right. Oftentimes, I have heard people say to me, like, I feel like I'm not being treated with the same respect or I'm not given the same amount of hours or I'm always in the back in the shot and this and, like, lighting, lighting, hair. 
Like these are things that like if you want everyone to look as good as they could look, then you have to have someone on set who can deal with lighting for every skin tone, mm. for all types of hair. Like things like that, I think I would like to think that I think about and to anyone who's ever worked with me, if there's something that I haven't thought about, please let me know. Because I think everyone deserves to feel as pampered and as respected and that they are in front of a camera with the best set of eyes and skills on them as the person next to them. Mm. And usually the person next to them that I'm referring to would probably be the white model. Right. Yeah. So they're not just brought on to... For the sake of having the diversity. Right. No. Or is the backdrop. Yeah. Yeah, they treat it equally. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I lied. I have another question I forgot to tackle. <laughs> when you talk about the event you're going to be hosting with uh, Trish. Trish. Yeah. What was the idea coming from that you wanted to gather a group of people, women particularly, who are 40 plus. Yes, 40 plus. But we talk about this. Doesn't yes. have to be. Doesn't have Someone to be. Someone under 40. Yes, can of also, course. Of oh, course. He's also welcome. The doors are open to right. any and everyone. I find as I'm aging, I think as, as women, we grow up with so many messages forced on us about who we have to be and all these things that we have to be. And I feel that by the time you figure it out, like, again, when people tell you, you know, your 40s are really fun. They are. They really are. Like, you really have a... What's so fun about it? You just you just don't give as many fucks. You're just like, you know what? Of course you, like, there's insecure, like, that we're human. But you just care a lot less about what other people think. And you just feel, at least for myself and my girlfriends that I've spoken to about this, you just feel a lot more secure with who you are. Mm. But what you find interesting is that on one end, you have all these beautiful things happening in that regard, but then you feel that you're disappearing Mm -hmm. because you feel that people maybe are not seeing you the way that they once did. I actually had this conversation with a friend the other night, a beautiful friend. She was saying about how she's like, you know, I realized that um, now I'm that nice, pretty lady. Like I'll be walking down the street and like, men are not looking at me like they used to. She's like, now I'm just like the pretty lady. Like, and I'm like, oh, I know, I know. It's like, it's different. Like, you don't even know you wanted it. But when you're finally of an age to be able to take it in and and deal with it, because it's mm. hard, right? Like when men, when you're being sexualized, it's hard when you're still figuring out who you are. Right. In the workforce, you're inspired by by younger women who are coming up and their voices are louder I feel than ours were in the in and I mean that in the best way I feel that like their voices it feels safer I would like to think or at least working towards that so you're you're like oh wow there's all this you know these fresh voices where does mine fit in now and you don't get stuck in your ways but like I said you do have a stronger sense of self so you know your boundaries and sometimes when you lose those boundaries or when you when you establish boundaries a little bit you start to wonder, wait, am I, am I missing out a little bit? Like, mm, oof, right. am I getting, like, what's, <laughs> you know, like, what, 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 is, what does that mean? Is that a good thing? Or does that mean like, oh my God, this is the end of the end, you know? Or like, I've had friends who have had to go, who are 45 plus, who have had to find new jobs. Mm-hmm. And they find it really difficult because 
they're going up against younger people who are starting their careers who who might be 10 years younger but willing to take less money mm. But they've worked really hard to get to where they're at and they, they can't take 10 less. Trish and I kind of started to talk about it lightly and then I started to expand the topic with friends where I was like, do you feel like you're being heard? Like, what what about these things? And like, what do you mean you knew that that would happen? Like, oh, okay, so it's a natural thing at, at you know, at 43, let's say that A, B and C happens and you speak to someone who's 45 and they're like, yeah, that's normal. <laughs> and you're like, what? Nobody told me that, you know? We want to just touch on all of that, whether it's, you know, things like health issues as you age or uh, like going through menopause. Like, luckily, I don't know what that is yet. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. What does that mean? Like, what are the things that we don't hear about? It's like, it's like now I find that we're finally starting to hear the other side of motherhood, right? Like you're starting to finally hear stories where it sucks. Are you kidding me? Those women are the bravest and the most selfless human beings on the planet. Like up until now, society makes it look so easy. It is not easy. I don't even have an idea of how hard it is, but just to like get a little bit of insight, it's like, that's exhausting. Yeah. And you never stop being a parent. Like that's exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about it. So all these things. Yeah. Like there's so much to talk about it. Like, Mm -hmm. like, let's talk. Like I, I feel that like, let's, let's help each other out. Awesome. Yeah. So I think now we'll just get to the rapid fire. The fun part. Okay, ready? Oof. Something weird about you that not many people know of. (laughs) Oh my God. So much about me is weird. The Uh, weirdest. I dance in the shower. I don't sing. Okay, that's not really weird. It's not? No. I do that. You do? Yeah. Okay, okay. I also sing as well. Oh my God. Something really weird about me. Can I go back to that one? Sure. Okay. Uh, now it's a package. So please use three or less words to describe the following. Love. Endless. Art. I can't think of the, the, the larger word that I want to. Um, it's, it's, it's a must. Like, it's two words, though. It's like, it's a must. No, three or less words. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a must. <laughs> Mistakes. They happen. Color. Eye-opening. Aging. A gift. Grace. Simple. So we're out of the package now. Okay. Now it's a love note to a future self. Uh, Love note to a future self. I would say um, to not be so hard on yourself because nobody gets it right all the time. When you do come up against obstacles or you come up against, um, you know, uh, an altercation with a person, to step back and think about your role in it and really try to think about what you may have done and how the other person might have felt as well. I think that that's really important and something that I tried to practice. When you are emotionally reacting to something, sit with those emotions and react when you're ready. What scares you the most? Oof. Oh my God. That's a thing scare me. What scares me the most? Um, 
other than something really horrible happening to anybody that I love. That's an obvious one. Um, what scares me the most is that I will, that my curiosity would run out because I feel like I don't know who I would be without that curiosity. That would be scary. The lesson that took you the longest to learn. <laughs> um, listening to my instincts. I think all of us. I think that's life's biggest challenge for women, men, anyone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just read something on Instagram and says, told you so. Yeah. Sincerely, your intuition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kicks our ass all the time. Yeah. So for your next life, if you could choose to be born in any city in the world, which city would you pick? London. I love London, England. <laughs> no offense. No offense, London, Ontario. I love you out there. <laughs> yeah, I really love London. Okay, the last one mm. is what you're currently seeking. Currently seeking um, expansion in my career. I'm going after some different things. And currently seeking love. I'd love to be in love. <laughs> Sounds like so much fun. Let's do it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Nice fellowship party. Oh, the Okay, that's a wrap for this episode with the lovely Daniela. Make sure to head to DearSecrets.com to check out all the amazing photos taken by my friend Ryu. And also, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcast. Your support will not only keep me going to create more episodes, but also help others who may enjoy these conversations to find us. You can also connect with us on Spotify, Instagram, and Pinterest at DearSeekers. So see you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking. Happy seeking.